I am more hesitant to deal with highly regulated businesses where one civil servant can decide whether a very large company lives or dies uh, based upon uh, a perception of social good and without any respect for owners. In fact, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac situation uh, made me think that ownership is becoming uh, an illusion in highly regulated companies. Why his famed Fair Home Fund is now more than 80% invested in just one stock. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. In the world of value investing, this week's guest has been considered one of the best. He is Bruce Berkowitz, founder and chief investment officer of Fair Home Capital Management, where he launched his flagship Fair Home Fund in late 1999 at the top of the tech bubble. The Fair Home Fund rose to fame by delivering better than 13% annualized returns in its first decade, putting it at the top 1% of its Morningstar large cap value category and crushing its peers and the market. By 2010, Berkowitz had been named Morningstar's first ever domestic equity fund manager of the decade, its 2009 domestic stock fund manager of the year, and had been given the professional distinction of writing an introduction to a chapter in the sixth edition of Security Analysis, Benjamin Graham and David Dodd's classic value investing Bible, which had a foreword written by Warren Buffett. Investors took notice. Fairhome Fund's assets climbed to a peak of $20 billion plus dollars by 2011, only to fall 70% to $7 billion by 2012. The reason the fund's 32% drop in 2011 and its huge concentrated positions in a handful of controversial stocks, which led to massive redemptions. Among Fairhome's controversial and very concentrated holdings over the years, have been insurer AIG, which made up more than half of the portfolio at one point, Bank of America, retailer Sears, and the preferred shares of government-sponsored entities, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which were placed into conservatorship by the U.S. government in 2008, and despite being enormously profitable, remain there. Since inception, the Fairhome Fund has had impressive results, total annualized returns of nearly 10%, beating the S&P 500 by a wide margin, but its performance has been volatile, going from the top of its class one year to the bottom the next. And it has gotten even more concentrated over time. Today, the Fairhome Fund's assets are down to $1.2 billion. The Berkowitz family is the largest shareholder by far, holding more than 30% of the fund. And 82% of the fund is concentrated in one stock. Florida real estate developer and manager, the St. Joe Company, and the fund is once again outpacing the market by a sizable margin. My investment approach since day one has been to count cash. Uh, been fairly successful in doing that. Uh, how, you know, at the end of the day, the investment equation is uh, you know what you pay versus what you receive, and part of that equation is to understand the assets and liabilities. Uh, of an investment of a company to, to understand what those assets uh, will eventually be redeemed for, how much cash the assets will generate uh, over time. 
what attracts you to a company in the first place? The money that the company generates. Hopefully it's simple to understand. It hasn't always been, but uh, it's really just the cash generation and hopefully uh, fewer variables uh, so that uh, I can stay with an investment for a very long period of time. And you've had a history of investing in financial companies, for instance, and you know more recently, uh, real estate companies. Uh, are there there are certain sectors that tend to be undervalued? Well, yes, undervalued, but also it has to be within my circle of competence. I should have some understanding of it so that during tough times, uh, I won't be shaken loose uh, from the investment. And yes, I uh, had very successful investments in banks from, uh, from the 90s uh, uh, through uh, the last great recession. It, it sort of all worked well uh, until it came to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac preferred. In the end, uh, it was as expected. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac ended up earning hundreds of billions of dollars of tremendous social value to homeowners, low cost, fixed rate mortgages, which a lot of homeowners are benefiting, benefiting by right now. Uh, and uh, it did as I expected to do. But for social reasons, the companies were put into federal conservatorship. Mm -hmm. They were taken by the United States government. And even though they have earned hundreds of billions of dollars since then, they're still under federal conservatorship. And the government uh, won't let go. They, they still originate, what, 90% of the mortgages in this country? Is that the case? Yes, six, seven trillion dollars of assets. They're right. publicly traded, but they've been pushed to the what we used to call the pink sheets. And they, uh, they were taken off every major exchange, and it's very difficult to uh, see the trading. So yes, and there have been many lawsuits, and sadly, legislators, uh, Politicians have uh, agreed with the government. They, the judicial system has agreed with the government over the conservatorship. The Supreme Court agreed. Recently, we had a trial by jury on the issue of whether the government uh, acted in good faith and fair dealings. And a jury of regular citizens decided that, yes, we were wronged and gave us uh, gave Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac shareholders a $600 million settlement. Now, that is not, it's a big number, but right. it's, it's not big compared to the $34 billion of preferred stock that was taken. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were not a good investment, still are not a good investment. It still is to be determined whether or not it remains a bad investment in that I've spent 10 years of my life on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It, and uh, we shall see, it's still to be determined. Uh, I'm not holding my breath in the financial environment that we're in now with interest rates going up 500 basis points and a lot of financial services companies facing significant stress uh, with their assets and deposits uh, and also insurance companies, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are doing quite well.
I have to ask you, because you were not alone in recognizing Fannie and Freddie's, you know, financial attributes. Carl Icahn was an investor. Bill Ackman was an investor. But you hung in longer than they did. They finally kind of threw in the towel. Why did you stick with it? I was uh, naive about the government doing what's right. Uh, I mean, these are two companies that didn't need a bailout didn't need to be in conservatorship, always had a tremendous amount of cash, quite profitable, uh, a history since the Great Depression. And I thought that there was just uh, a mistake was made uh, by the, uh, the government as to the taking them into uh, federal conservatorships. And I thought over time uh, that would be reversed after all. Uh, how can you still be in a conservatorship after making hundreds of billions of dollars? Uh, but I guess if you're in a federal conservatorship and the United States Treasury is getting your money, then you can, uh, it becomes Alice in Wonderland. Left is right, blue is green, and uh, it's going to be up to uh, either the courts or uh, the legislature to decide that uh, enough is enough. Not a happy ending so far. Uh, and as I say, I'm not holding my breath on it, and uh, we've moved on. But it right. should have been a wonderful win for shareholders and for the country. And maybe one day it will be. What are the lessons that you've drawn from that experience? I am more hesitant to deal with highly regulated businesses where one civil servant can decide whether... Uh, a very large company lives or dies uh, based upon uh, a perception of social good and without any respect for owners. In fact, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac situation uh, uh, made me think that ownership is becoming, uh, you know, an illusion mm -hmm. for uh, in highly regulated companies. Now, this is exactly what uh, Fairholme has done with Wells Fargo, uh, Bank of America, AIG, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Regions, uh, Financial, uh, many other companies where our shareholders stepped in uh, to support uh, financials during difficult times, and those financials came back. Right, you benefited from the from many of those, right? We all benefited. Right, right. The, the companies benefited from the support. Our shareholders uh, uh, took a risk and, and received the reward, uh, but not with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And it, and I hesitate now to invest in the the banks and insurers today because there are many that could possibly face the same issue as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, interest rates have gone up significantly. That means the loans on their books are worth much less uh, than when they were originated. If you received a 3% loan from Bank of America, well, who's gonna buy that loan at a 3% rate when people are gonna require eight or 9%? And what is the implication for the valuation of that asset or for an investment security based on that mortgage. It's going to take years uh, to recover from uh, holding uh, low interest fixed rate uh, loans and investments. And at the same time, the funding source for banks are deposit rates, 
I mean, it's time now for depositors to earn some interest on their money. Right. Especially when the United States Treasury will pay you 5% for a, you know, one month. And I think many banks are forced to keep their uh, deposit rates low because they can't afford to fund uh, their 3 or 4% loans with 5% deposit money. So luckily, the rules have changed somewhat, so it's not obvious. The balance sheets of many banks are not obvious as to uh, what their true value is, their mark-to-market value. As long as they, it stays this way, they should be able to recover over the next few years. But if interest rates continue to go up or the government changes the rules as to how you value a loan or a security, uh, there could be some real issues. Now, of course, there are always exceptions right. to the rule, and there are financial institutions that prepared for higher interest rates, more normal interest rates, and uh, those institutions should do quite well. So a, any for instances? Oh, a Berkshire Hathaway, you know, keeping a, you know, $100 billion plus in T-bills, earning right. nothing. W.R. Berkeley, another insurance company that uh, took the pain of holding on to significant liquidity at a time of zero rates and now has the ability to reinvest or to, well, to reinvest at 5% or to reinvest that money without a loss at much higher rates, 9, 10%. So yes, there are winners and I'm starting to look at uh, smaller banks and financial institutions where uh, the management had the courage uh, to sort of suffer, to uh, earn less yesterday in order to earn more tomorrow. And they're usually owner-oriented management teams, uh, managers that have a significant amount of their family net worth in the institution. So they were more focused on not losing rather than you know, getting a short-term performance compensation based upon uh, yearly or quarterly earnings. I'm reminded of some some of your you know famous Bruce isms and which one of which I've quoted many many times on Wealth Truck over the years, which looking at uh, cash as financial valium. And um, it, do you still feel that way? And and what is your your position in the Fair Home Fund now? Is what about twelve percent cash? We're about thirteen percent right? in 13, cash. Okay. Yeah. And our income fund is at uh, 67% cash. And wow. we're up about, and we're up 10% uh, for the year versus a negative return for the uh, Bloomberg bond index. And, and the Fair Home Focused Income Fund, why is it 67% in cash? Is that because that's where you find the best income is in cash equivalents, T-bills? Exactly. There are a few. Uh, there are a few investments I could find for good income, but overall, uh, the T bills make a lot of sense. Uh, we have found uh, one excellent income earning investment, a company called Enterprise Products. Enterprise Products is a pipeline company. Basically, they have a seventy-five billion dollars of irreplaceable energy infrastructure. Call them toll roads. They take uh, oil, natural gas, uh, petrochemicals from where they are produced to where they are needed. Uh, we can't live without natural gas or oil. 96% um, of all the products that we use 
uh, have petrochemicals in them. You know, find a medication that doesn't have a, a, a derivative of natural gas or oil in it. Right. Energy uh, enterprise products uh, moves the basic energy blocks and the basic petrochemical products uh, to where they are needed. They have a wonderful 25-year history, uh, of, and they've averaged about 15% per annum return, of which half has been a, uh, dist cash distributions. So at this point, uh, I'll tell you, it sounds too good to be true, which will invoke my next principle of the, there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's either not free or it's not lunch. So, uh, and, <laughs> uh, so it, uh, Enterprise Products is a master limited partnership, an right. MLP. When you buy an MLP, you're buying into a business and you are Ta it's taxed as an operating business. It has different tax attributes, some of which are quite positive than a regular equity or a bond. So it's, it's complex. Uh, it, you have to study it. It's not right for, say, retirement accounts. It works quite well for fair home funds, mm -hmm. but it's the largest position in my income fund and my, the income fund acts as a sort of a blocker. So shareholders of the income fund do not have to deal with the, uh, the issues of an MLP and K-1s. Mm -hmm. So Enterprise Products is your one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. Enterprise Products would be the, the one investment to make, uh, for especially for those who uh, desire uh, cash income, 7.5% distribution. It's returned 15% per annum for the last 25 years. They are positioned to earn 15% per annum for the next 25 years. Talk to me about kind of the evolution of the portfolio, because as we mentioned in the introduction to you, at, you know, at one point you had $20 billion under management. Yes. Um, you know, you won all of these awards. And if, if an investor had stayed with the Fairhome Fund since its inception, the returns would still be beating the market, the S&P 500, by a very wide margin. Twice the performance of the S&P 500 since 2000. So the journey, however, for many investors has been really difficult to stay with. You own several companies, for instance, over the years. And now you're basically down to just a couple, and um, and especially the fact that the St. Joe Company now constitutes more than 80% of the Fairhome Fund portfolio. How did you get from owning more companies to focusing 82% of the portfolio in one? It's a great question. St. Joe uh, was a 3% uh, position in the fund when the fund was a $20 billion right. uh, assets under management. Today, the fund has $1.3 billion under management, sort of back to the future. And uh, even though I have sold probably over $200 million of St. Joe over the years, because I stopped buying St. Joe in 2010. Wow. And, uh, uh, the, the position was established in 2010. It, it, it was the, my last purchase 
it's probably 3% of the fund. Uh -huh. Now, over time, as uh, shareholders uh, decided to move on, uh, uh, given the volatility of the fund, the relative poor performance, uh, the fund has shrank. And so today, uh, you know, I and affiliates of mine own 34% of the fund shares. So today we have a situation where the fund now owns one-third of St. Joe. Right, the largest and, shareholder, right? Yes. Yep. And I own, I, my family own a third of the fund. And I'm also the, the chairman of St. Joe. I learned from Sears that uh, if you're going to have a big position, uh, you better be in a position to uh, defend that position. And and the, the lesson from Sears, because Sears, again, the reason that you bought Sears and took such a large position in it was not because of the retail business. It was because of the real estate, right? Yes, it was uh, from day one. I thought that Sears had the potential to be the world's largest real estate company. Right. Uh, history has shown from the ashes of failed retailers came great uh, real estate uh, plays. So I thought it was quite simple. Stop the retail, use the cash to uh, redeploy the cash to the real estate. I was unable to convince management or the board, and right, I did Eddie go Lambert. on the board mm -hmm. for a couple of years. Right. Uh, I was the only one, no one bought into it, and, uh, and I think it's obvious that uh, that was the way to go. Uh, right. And St. Joe uh, is an example of that, where uh, a focused real estate strategy of uh, generating cash, keeping your leverage low, you know, being in a position to last, that is to weather all environments, uh, you can do quite well. And the company is in a very good position today because of what I would call the great migration south. Florida is now the third largest state by population and has surpassed New York State. It is, has, Florida has the fastest growth rate. And then if you look at Northwest Florida. Which is where the St. Joe Company is. And Northwest Florida is growing much faster than Florida. So St. Joe on the Gulf of Mexico, surrounded by you know, the ocean, surrounded by the intracoastal waterways. Uh, think about what, if you took Tampa, St. Pete, Sarasota, and threw in Orlando, into a contiguous space uh, in Northwest Florida, uh, that's what you have with St. Joe. And St. Joe is taking that land and developing it uh, for homes, has, a, has entitlements for 170,000 homes, dozens of hotels, apartment buildings, resorts, clubs. And St. Joe owns the land free and clear, purchased decades ago. You have land that's priced at 20, less than $20,000 an acre. And then if you look at transactions in the area, like what people pay for land to build a home or to build the next hospital or school or a shopping center or a golf club, uh, uh, 
it could be up to and surpass $2 million an acre. And that's the opportunity at St. Joe. And that's the reason why uh, St. Joe's earnings have been growing so fast. You are continuing to look for other companies to invest in. It's just that you haven't found the compelling values uh, in recent years that you used to find. I'm looking every day. Mm -hmm. I'm a bit more conservative than I was before. I continue to look for that great long-term investment. Uh, and uh, I believe I found it in St. Joe, uh, because after all, sort of real estate seems to be one of the few areas where families have multi-generational success. Thank you so much, Bruce Berkowitz from the Pair Home Funds. We really appreciate your being on WealthTrack again. Thank you, Consuelo. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is understand who you are investing with. The experience of many fair home fund investors is a case in point. Bruce Berkowitz is a deep value investor who has a history of taking really large positions in a few unpopular, even vilified stocks. He is able to handle the inherent volatility of his approach, but most investors can't. When his positions are working, investors rush in. When they don't, investors rush out and end up with losses. The expression, know thyself, can be modified to know thy investor as well. Next week, our focus is the state of interest rates with financial thought leader Jim Grant, publisher of his influential Grant's Interest Rate Observer, now celebrating its 40th anniversary. In this week's extra feature, Bruce Berkowitz shares how he handles major financial setbacks like the unsuccessful attempts to save Fannie and Freddie stockholders. Please follow us on Facebook and our YouTube channel. Thank you for spending time with us. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.